Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. All right, let's go to, to Colossians chapter 1. I've tried my best to get out of Colossians chapter 1 in the last two weeks, and I haven't made it yet, but we are going out of there today. Um, but let's, let's go. I wanna, I'm not going to start at verse 1 because I know me. I'll get trapped, and I'll never, I will just go through it again. But let's go to verse 9. This verse, I just have to tell you, Colossians 1.9, it's always been one of my favorite verses. It's especially a favorite verse when I'm praying for people. I've said it, and I've said it, and I'll continue to say it. Knowing God's will for your life is probably the most important factor in your spiritual life of anything you can ever do. If you don't know God's will for yourself, you just, you're going to be walking blind. It's like walking around your house at night with the lights off. You know, I've had the, the pleasant uh, experience twice in the last uh, two months of stubbing toes and, you know, limping for weeks. I actually think I may have even broken one a little bit, but I learned a long time ago, you go to the emergency room with a broken toe, they just pull on it and say, okay, go home, don't walk on it. So, you know, there's no sense in getting it treated, just pull on it, get it straight, and go on. It's, but <clears throat> it's not fun. It hurts. And I mean, it hurts really bad when you first do it. Well, I don't want my life to be that way. I'm tired of living my life just however the wind blows me. Whatever comes may come, you know. That's not how God's called us. He's called us as Christians to live our lives on purpose. He gave us a purpose. He gives us direction. But we have to know His will. Amen? Let's look at Colossians 1.9. He said, for this reason, and if you want to know what that reason is, we've got two CDs back there. You can go back and listen to the last two weeks. For this reason, from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's Jesus' will for you. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why, does it, why is it so important? Verse 10, that you may walk... Worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the display of all endurance and patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Let me give you the Robert's condensed version of that. Paul said, I heard you guys got saved. Now it's time for me to really start praying for you because you need to go know God's will so you can walk out in your life what's fully pleasing to Him. But you can only do that by giving thanks to Him that He's already qualified you for everything you're ever going to experience both here in earth and in heaven. He's already put on the inside of us everything we will ever need. He's made all the changes to your spirit. He took a dead, dying, sinful spirit, what you were before you were born again, killed it, recreated a brand new spirit, put it on the inside of you and said, you have no past spiritually. You are forgiven. Now go and walk in the light of that. Now the problem is for a lot of Christians, they have no light on that. They go through life thinking I'm just a worm. I'm just a sinner. I'm just, I'm saved by grace. And thank God if I work hard enough, I'm going to make it to heaven. I believe I will. I hope I do. And they just, they're, they're at, they're, they lead their life at the, the uh, beck and call of whatever circumstances take them, wherever their circumstances lead them. Well, I guess that's just what God wants for me. No. <clears throat> God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Already, He's given it to you. And He's saying, you walk in the light of that. When the devil comes and tries to steal, kill, and destroy, you resist him steadfast in the faith and watch him flee from you. 
But you can't resist him if you don't have any weapons. The weapons of our warfare, according to, to the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, are not carnal. It's not just the fact that I make a confession, that I declare that the devil has no power over me. It's the fact that Jesus declared that first, and now I'm just echoing what Jesus said. See, I'm not trying to push Jesus with my faith into doing something for me. I want to find out what Jesus has already done for me and then get in agreement with that. And when I declare it, I'm not pushing Jesus, but I am going to take my fist spiritually and I'm going to put it right in the devil's face. And if I have to back him off, if I have to fight every demon in hell, if God has to take 99% of the angels in heaven, put them behind my back, and we're going to storm hell itself, if that's what it takes, that's what I'm going to do. Amen? If that's not your attitude, it's just hard to be successful. Now, the great news is, if I fail at all of that, I still got heaven. Thank God for his mercy. And I'm going to fail a lot. But we need to get past this thing of, 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 of being afraid of failure. I, I remember the story of, of um, oh, Thomas Edison. He was going through and, and experimenting with all of the, the filaments to make his modern light bulb. And a friend that he had had came in and looked at his lab and he saw his, his uh, notes. And he had a book. And he looked and saw that the filament he was working on that day was like the 3,000th some odd filament that he had tried and none of them had worked. And his friend said, don't you get discouraged? And he said, are you kidding? I got 3,000 things here that I know don't work. I'm getting close. That's how we need to view our life. Not that, oh my God, I have failed so much. Lord, I have disappointed you. First of all, God's not disappointed in you. You are his child. At your very worst, he sent Jesus to save you. You're not at your worst today. And he loves you just as much whether you fail or succeed in what he's given you to do. But we still need to pick ourselves up and say, God's not my problem. The devil and life circumstances may be, but I'm pushing through. Now, going back to this, <clears throat> Colossians, we're strengthened with all power. This is verse 11. So that we might display endurance. The word there is hupomune. means we need to get under the load and carry the load. The picture for me in modern times is putting on the backpack and carrying the stuff I need to carry. I've got a job to do. Now Paul says in Philippians that we are to bear one another's burdens. And then he says right in the same passage, we are to bear our own burdens. The two different words there for burdens. One that we're supposed to bear for one another are overwhelming weights that no one person can, can carry. Let me just give you an example. There's a financial burden for running this church. If God depends on me to meet the budget for this church, guess what? We're going under. I don't have the money in my checkbook. Now, that doesn't mean God can't provide it. And if that's what is necessary, he will. But that's a burden that we carry jointly. That way it, it, doesn't, it doesn't crush any one of us. But there, but there is also in that same financial um, example, I've got my burden. It said, you know, I had people say, well, I can't afford to give. Well, first of all, you can't afford not to give. And this is not, I'm not preaching about money, although that's not a bad subject to preach about. But your key to success financially is your willingness to give. And if you don't plant any seeds, you cannot reap a harvest. It's like me going out in my backyard and lamenting and looking at God and saying, God, why don't I have any corn out here? Why is there no crop? And God's just going to smack my head and say, boy, you didn't plant any corn. 
How do you expect to raise a crop if you don't plant the seed? That principle works for everything. That's part of our load. We have to plant the seed. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's just what you declare. Just like when we took communion. If, if you have pain in your body, if you have sickness in your body, then you have to say, I don't care what my body says. I don't care that my body says I'm sick. My body is subject to the word of God, not that the, the word of God is not subject to what my body feels. And I am going to declare, body, you listen. I don't care what you feel, you will get in line. Then I'm going to, for me personally, I'm going to Romans 8, 11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and believe me, his body was a little more tarnished than mine is. The same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in me. And that same spirit will give life to my mortal flesh. I love, I'm glad Paul stuck that word mortal in there. That's not my reborn body that I'm going to get when Jesus comes back. That's my body that's, that's subject to death. That will die at some point. If you get old enough, you will die. It's just a fact. But you don't have to die sick. If, God, if it's your time and God wants to take you to heaven, all he's got to do is reach down, grab your spirit, pull it out, and your body's going to hit the ground, and the coroner's going to say, well, I guess they had a massive heart attack and died. Well, yeah, when your spirit leaves, your body can't function anymore. This is just how it works. But how do I stay under that load? How do I, I exercise and be strengthened with all this power so I can have this endurance? I have, what helps is to have this patience. It's the Greek word macrothumia, which in, in, in a lot of cases means you have a passion, but you don't allow it to overcome you. And in that, in that negative sense, it's sometimes translated long-suffering. There, there is a passage or several passages where that is true. When we deal with one another, we're going to hurt each other's feelings, we're going to offend one another. We're going to tick one another off. Get over it. It's part of life. The most important, the most committed relationship I have in my life is with my wife and I. I'm more committed to her than I am my kids. The proof of that is, there was a time when I looked at my kids and I said, it's time to go. I love you, but you need to go out and live your own life. I haven't looked at my wife and said, you know, I love you, but it's time you went out and lived your own life. No, I've said, I am committed to you. I, I, will, I will have a relationship with you until one of us dies. But you know what? It ain't always easy. As perfect as I am. I know. You want me to back up so when the lightning strikes, you don't get hit. No, my point is, this is, this is the most important relationship in my life. I have committed myself for life to live and, and, and have fun with this, this woman. And yet there are times when it's work. Why? Because for some unknown reason, I grate on her. And there are times when she grates on me. And we have to work it out. And the most important thing we have to do is keep reminding ourselves, I have to walk in forgiveness. I have to. I, I was impressed. I heard this week that the pastor here in northern um, Indianapolis, whose wife was raped and murdered by these two guys, home invasion, broke into her house, raped her, murdered her, uh, horrific crime. And he came out publicly and said, I choose to forgive them. I know a lot of people thought, that man is nuts. But what they don't understand is not forgiving someone, and in his case, that's, that's tough to do, because that's an emotional wound that you just, you, you never really get over it. You can get past it, but it's always going to be a part of his life. But, but choosing not to forgive is like taking poisoning poison and expecting the other person to drop dead. Unforgiveness poisons me. It does nothing to the other person. And when I forgive them, I don't negate their, the evilness of their act. 
And I certainly don't declare to the state, I don't think they deserve punishment. That has, that's up to the state. It's a decision on my part that I, no matter what their motivation was, I'm not going to hold it against them. And I am required to do that because Jesus did that to me and for me. When I was yet a sinner, he died for me. So how, how can I hold unforgiveness towards someone else? I can't. I don't have a right to. The other use of this word, though, and I, I see it here, is the way I stay under the load and do the job God's called me to do is I have to be passionate about what He's called me to do. I have to be passionate about my life in general. I have to be passionate about being a Christian. I'll be honest with you. I don't have to preach two seconds anymore and I'm so stirred up I could go. It's part of the reason I started this blog. I could not hold it in anymore. I had to get some of these things out because I felt like if I don't get it out, I'm going to pop. Well, I put it on paper, stick it on the internet and just have at me, guys. Agree or disagree. But I got to get my thoughts out there and preach a little bit. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, not enough. There's just more in me i got to get out. I'm passionate about being a Christian. Now, I'm passionate about being a pastor and being in the ministry, but that's, that's my job. That's my calling. That's not my life. My life, if I, if I never got to stand in another pulpit, I still am called to preach. St. Francis said, you need to, to uh, preach the gospel to every creature even if you have to say it in words. You know, if my life doesn't back up what I say, then what I say really doesn't count. That's what we're talking about here. I've got to have a passion about doing what Jesus told me to do. There's a reason we do that. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians and Colossians are, are very nearly identical. I forget the percentage, but there's a high percentage of the, of the verses, of the words that are just, they're, they're exactly the same. But in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul echoes this same thought. Let's start in verse 1. We've got the New King James up here, but I'm going to read from the mounts because I just, it follows pretty closely, but it's a little different. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to lead a life worthy of the calling with which you were called. It's the same thought he just said in, in, in Colossians. God's put these things in you, so that requires you to have a life that's different than what you had before. With all, what, how is this? With all humility and gentleness and patience, there is macrothumia. In this sense, I believe that means just be forgiving. Hold your temper in check. Hold your passion in a negative sense in check. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing or making every effort to preserve the unity. That word literally comes from the root of oneness. Bearing the, the oneness or preserving the oneness of the Spirit by the bond of peace. And then he goes into this little riff where he uses this same root word here for one. The reason that we need to preserve the unity of the body of Christ as one. And that one, let me, let me make sure I'm clear. This doesn't mean that we're all cookie cutter Christians. We are going to all have our own distinct personalities just because we are unified doesn't mean we have the same natural tastes. It means we have the same purpose in life. And that's to show Jesus through our lives. It says in verse 6, or excuse me, verse 4, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were all called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, we all have different jobs to do. But we all function to get the ultimate job done, which is to see that by the time Jesus comes back, we've got as many people heading to heaven with us as we can possibly get. Our job here on the planet is to see people born again. Now, once they get born again, I want to see their bodies healed. I want to see their marriages restored. I want to see them walk in prosperity. But they can walk healthy and whole and prosperous and die and go to hell, and it's a complete failure. Now, there is no um, um, advantage to getting saved and then being sick and poor and miserable. I don't really want to, that's not an appealing club that I want to join. Oh, brother, you get saved. Your life will be miserable. Yippee, let me join. No, God wants us to live the abundant life. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to face challenges. doesn't mean you're all going to be millionaires. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be challenged with, with health problems. But it means you have an answer to everything that comes against you. We just read it when we took communion. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He's already provided the tools and the weapons. But I want to make sure that when I pull my weapon out, I've got some bullets in there. You can, you can meet me on the, straight. I, on the street. I can have an AR-15, couple of Glock 9s, you know, maybe a, a, a couple of missiles on me. But if I got no ammunition, it's all for show. All for show. Can't do a thing except use them as clubs. I gotta have, I gotta have the weapons, but I have to be able to use those weapons. I have to be able to, to take that weapon and use it against the enemy. And it's not just to defeat the enemy. The enemy is already defeated. Let me be clear about this. The ultimate aim is not to put the devil in his place. Jesus did that. It's to back the devil off in other people's lives. But if I'm so busy defending my own life and worrying about my own needs, I don't have the energy sometimes to, to intercede and help other people. If I've got a, a family member or a relative that I know they're, they're not saved, then if I'm going to pray for them, I'm first of all going to Corinthians and I'm going to, I'm going to pray over them that the blinders get taken off of their eyes, that they can see the truth of the gospel. And I am going to stay on the devil day and night, night and day until those blinders come off. And if they come off and those people put them back on, because the picture there is the picture of Moses. When Moses came down off the mountain, his face was glowing from the presence of God. And, and the people said, Moses, we can't handle that. Put something over your face. And so Moses veiled his face. Well, when Jesus was resurrected, it says that, that the world, his, his light shines now and it can't be bound. So people can't cover his face. So what do they do? They cover their own face because they don't want to see the light because they don't want to accept the light. Well, my job is to unbind that and let them see the truth of the gospel in my life so that they will be attracted to the gospel and attracted to Christ and want to come in and be a part of this wonderful experience that we've had of being born again. And it's not a natural thing. Nobody comes and, and, and reads the Bible and says, well, yeah, I understand all of this. It's not written to you until you, till you um, are born again. The Bible is hard to understand unless the Spirit draws you. That's also part of, this, part of my job. I need to back the enemy off so that they can sense the drawing of the Spirit. And when they do, if they're open and they're receptive, God has a way to get the truth of the gospel into them. They can see it, and then they have a decision to make. That's as far as my job goes. 
gets them to the point where they can make a clear decision. I know the truth and I know the untruth and I have a clear choice. I got to go one way or the other. Then it's, then free will comes in. I can't force them to make that choice. Free will is, is, free will is hard. Especially when it's somebody you love and they choose to go to hell. And it is a choice. Nobody goes there by accident. Nobody goes because Jesus didn't do enough. They go because they rejected the gospel. And it is a choice. And they will, that's why the Bible says, at some point every knee will bow. And when that knee bows, they're going to say, I chose this. I regret it. I regret it a lot. They're going to be in heaven. They're going to be before the white throne. And they're going to see the wonderfulness of heaven and know this is as close as I ever get. I don't want that to happen. Amen? How do we do this? Let's look at down at verse 11. Uh, we're in Ephesians 4. It was He, meaning Jesus, who gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood. That's the aim of all of this. Jesus put in the body of Christ. He gave us <clears throat> apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, the fivefold ministry. Not to go out and do the work of the ministry. That is one of the, the, the problems that I saw was an outgrowth of, it seemed to be an outgrowth for me, of, of the 20th century. We, and it's, I know it started long before that, but we had the, 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 the concept of the professional ministry. And it was the minister's job to do the praying, to do the preaching, to do the work of the ministry, and we're just going to put our dollar bill in the, in the offering plate and provide you with a good income. Not too good, because we want you to stay humble. But we're going to provide you with enough to get by so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry. And I've just salved over my responsibility to do anything. God help us if that's your attitude. Because you are the minister's that have to do the job. It's a bigger job than any minister tied to a pulpit can do. To be honest with you, you know, I, I want to see people get saved in this church. I want to see people come and get saved at this altar. But what I really want to see is you presenting the gospel to people and them getting saved in your lives and you bringing people to church and saying, God, brother... I prayed the sinner's prayer with this person this week and they want to come up and make a public confession of their faith, but it's already done. It was done in my living room. It was done at Kroger's or Walmart or the gym or wherever, at my place of work. That's the work of the ministry for all of us. And we're not exempted just because we are in the five-fold ministry. We have people. Now, I'll be honest with you. My, my uh, uh, opportunities are a little more limited because I mainly <clears throat> hang around with Christians. And, but we don't need to wall our lives off so that all we fellowship with are Christians. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't have any really close friends that are not Christians because I'm not opening myself up to unbelievers that much. But I do have a lot of acquaintances that are not Christians. And I, but I, my, my purpose of staying acquaintances and friends with them is so that I can have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. To say, look, this is a great life. There are benefits to being a Christian. Both now and when, when you know, you're going to come to the end of your life. That's part of what we do. But the whole point of this is that we come, we attain this unity of the faith, verse 13, and the knowledge of the Son of God so that we can grow up into adulthood <coughs> to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we are no longer children. The Greek word there for children is um, 
Nepios or Napios. The, the root of that, to be a Napios, the, the, the one true sign that you are a, a, a babe, a Napios, is they have no speech. It literally means to be without speech. When you get first born, born again, you are a baby, a spiritual baby. You've just been born. You don't have a lot of abilities, and, and it really does fit the pattern of, of, of children growing up naturally. Babies don't speak. They do a couple of things. They start getting their brains organized, and they eat, they sleep, and they fill their diaper. That's all their job is. That's okay for a year or so. But if between, you know, first year and the second year, they're not starting to babble a little bit, they're not starting to crawl and eventually walk and to show some attention to do things, we're going to take our natural babies and get them to a pediatrician and say, what's wrong with this child? Because they're not, they're not developing. And yet, I, I've, my experience has been, I've been in some churches where I see people and they've been born again by their own testimony for 25 years and they're still babies in Christ. They have never grown up. And, you know, Brother Hagin used to say sometimes you're, you know, the, the hardest problem you will have is when you deal with, with uh, congregants and they start, when one of them starts screaming, it's usually because you pulled the bottle out of their mouth it's to go over and feed a real baby. And you've got a 25-year-old baby that's not being spoon-fed and suddenly, what's, what's wrong? Why are you not meeting my needs? Because it's time for you to grow up and meet your own needs. It's time for you to grow up and get in the Word and find out what God said about you so that he, Paul said, by this time you ought to have been teachers and yet you're still being fed with milk only. And the, my loose translation, what is your problem? Grow up. I heard that from my dad more than once. Now, I was only eight years old, so I think it was a little premature, but... At some point, we have to grow up. I remember listening to one of my teachers from Bible school saying, you know, he, he, he went through this phase where he started getting frustrated because he was going to church and he, he wasn't getting any new revelation. And it finally dawned on him, I'm at a stage with my life where there's not a lot of brand new revelation. It's not finding out new things. It's taking what I know and refining how I do it. And he said, at that point, I don't go to church to get fed as much as I go to church to see how I can help feed others. I do go to church, and it's important. The Bible says very clearly, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as is the habit of some, but come even more so as the day approaches. We're going to get to the point where people are going to be flocking here because they're going to need it. And, and, and you know, I'll be honest with you, if you're satisfied with the Sunday morning only experience, there's a problem. If you came in here, if we had a fellowship hall set up and you came in and you had eggs and bacon and toast and, and you know, a full big breakfast every Sunday morning and we said, hey, we're having another meal tonight and you said, no, it's okay, I'll be back next Sunday. I don't need to eat between now and then. I'd say, wow, you've got to be hungry between now and then. You've got to be weak and ineffective. You can't go and only eat once a week. Now, this is not the only place you can get fed, but this is the primary place you can get fed because this is where God's called you to be a church. If He's called you to be a part of this church, come and get it, and, but, but don't make it your, your, your aim that I'm only coming to get what I can get. You need to come and find out where can I plug in and help. That's the growing up. Now, we're supposed to, to grow up, to mature, to become this, this um, uh, teleos, which is the mature adulthood. But there are several stages in between. Let me just very briefly throw these at you. The, the napios is the baby without sleep or without speech. 
they're a Christian, they're born again, but they look like, sound like, act like the world. Why? Because they just came out of the world. Now, if that, you're still at that stage many years after you got born again, then you're not growing up and we need to address that problem and start growing. But the next stage is to be a, a, a padion, which is roughly in natural um, terms, it's from age two to about the bar mitzvah age. And this is where you are truly a child, you're growing, you're learning. These are your elementary years where you're pulling in facts, you're learning stuff, but you need a very close mentor. You need somebody that you can turn to on, 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 with most circumstances and say, I'm learning this, but I don't really know how to do this. Help. That's where, as, as ministers, as professional ministers, and I really don't like that word, but part of the five-fold ministry, that's where most of our time ought to be. With, with children that are growing up spiritually. Now, in natural terms, it's from about 2 years old to about 12 years old. It's about a 10, 12-year period. In spiritual terms, you can, you can do that in a year or two. You can grow up fast spiritually. There's no limit to how quick you can go through these stages. It's, just, it's a matter of how open are you to let God change you. Amen? But you have to be open to change. If you want things to stay the same, and I've dealt with people, I've, I've dealt with a lot of family members, they want their circumstances different, but they don't want to make any changes in their life. Never going to happen. If you want your circumstances to change, you have to change. If you want your spiritual circumstances to change, you have to start partaking. We'll, we'll be back there, but go over to James real quick. James 3.11, this is one of the, the signs of being at this stage in your life. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up for, to verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. The, the, this stage of spiritual life or natural life, you have the ability to speak, but you don't know how to speak. How many times, and I, I remember, it didn't happen often, but I had, we had a few incidences where I did it more when I was growing up, although I learned to do, do it quietly because doing it vocally got you in trouble. But you just, your kids look at you, I hate you. Okay. That means I'm being a good dad. I mean, Betty Davis, she was a Hollywood starlet back in the 30s. Even she had the sense to say, if you're a parent and you never do anything that will risk your children being angry with you, you don't deserve to be a parent. Now, that's a very loose translation of what she actually said because that's from memory. But the point is, there are times when you have to correct your children. You have to say no. Amen? And when you do, they're not going to like it. Well... You recognize it's that's happened when your tongue, you no one can tame it. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in this in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? The, 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 the statement is self-evident. No. If, I'm, if one minute I'm blessing God and the next minute I'm cursing my brother, then i got a ways to go to grow up. I'm displaying the, the, the attributes of a child. And, I need, and I, first of all, I need to recognize it. I'm acting like a baby. Now, in any of these, you can have your moments. I put anybody under enough pressure, you're going to act childishly. I put you in enough pain, put you in enough stress, you can get broken. And we found that out during the Korean War. Prior to the Korean War, uh, soldiers were told they could never give in. And, and the North Koreans perfected the art of brainwashing, and they broke a lot of our soldiers. You know, cause them tremendous emotional pain until at some point they finally broke and they gave up everything. 
They just said, I just want the pain to end. I will do whatever you say to do. I will tell you whatever you want to know. I'll tell you my deepest, darkest secrets. So if, I, if circumstances push on you hard enough, you may display that. But if that's the norm for your life, then you need to grow up. Then we get to the technon stage. This is the teenager stage. The, the, the teenager stage, basically this is where you are an apprentice. You are actually doing the work of the ministry. You're out, you're preaching to people, you're living the lifestyle. You're not perfect at it, you know, you're still an apprentice. You still have somebody that you have to check in with that, you know, hey, I'm, I, well, and let me, let me make this clear. When I say you need a mentor, you need a mentor to probably till the day you die. Everybody needs a mentor. One of the, the, the worst traits of the American church is we got John Wayneized. And this is coming from a guy who loves John Wayne. I think I've got every movie or close to every movie the man's ever made, and I've watched some that I don't have on, on DVDs. I love the man. But he had this persona of, I don't need anybody. I can do it. I can stand on my own two feet and do my own thing, and I don't need anybody else. That doesn't work with spirituality. We are a body and we need one another. And I need to have someone to go to and say, I need to check this out. And I'll be honest with you, in my life, the first person I go to is my wife. Because I know she'll be honest with me. She'll be gentle, but she'll be honest. And I need that. I need somebody to say, you are screwed up. Where in the world did you get that idea? Because especially when you get in, into a little more position, you know, I've had <coughs> people have actually said this to my wife, and I laugh harder than she does, and she laughs pretty hard. She's had people say, oh, it must just be such a joy to be married to him and have this spiritual wisdom flow out in your house all the time. And she's thinking, are you kidding me? How he is in the pulpit is not how he is on Monday morning. Well, that's true. I have an anointing to preach the word. I have no special anointing to live my life other than the anointing that we all have, which is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And I'm not discounting that. Part of the job of, growing, of learning to grow up is learning to rest in that anointing, to just be a Christian every day. But it's hard. <clears throat> when we're in this teenage state, we learn to apply the Word and we develop our faith. But we still mess up. And at, at the beginning of that stage, we're going to mess up more than at the end of that stage. You, you know, an apprentice that, that and I look at, you know, usually when I say apprentice, people think of woodworkers or machinists. The one I think of, and maybe it's just me because I'm a science guy, I look at, at Ben Carson. Ben Carson was in his early 20s. He had been an honor student in high school, got a bachelor's degree in whatever, went four years to medical school and got a medical degree and got out of school with, what is that, um, 20 years of schooling, multiple degrees, and they said, okay, now you get to start learning. And he faced a 12-year apprenticeship before he got to go out in private practice. 12 years before they would trust him to go do the surgeries that he was called to do. That is incredible to me. Well, we do the same thing. But even at that stage where he was out in private practice, when he had tough cases, he didn't do them on his own. He had friends and colleagues that he trusted, and he said, hey, come here and help me with this. I need some advice. I need to know how to tackle this problem. Now, eventually he had to do the job, but he still looked to others. That's what we do, and wherever we are in that, we need to, to do the work and learn how to do the work. And then we come to the adult stage, the young adult stage, which the, the word is um, heos, which go to Hebrews 11, verse 21. This is, Hebrews 11 is the um, heroes of faith chapter. And in verse 21... This is talking about um, Jacob. 
It says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob, when, when he realized, this is it, I'm going out, he called his sons and he said, I want you to come and I'm going to lay hands on you and bless you. They were sons. This is, they, were, they were adults at that point. He was an old man when he died. They were fully grown. They, they had, we, we walk in fellowship daily. Yes, we still may occasionally slip and fall and sin. You're probably never going to get past that in your stage. But as you grow, your sins become narrower and narrower. You only have to get off the path a little bit and you realize this is not where I want to be. It's just like driving. You get When you first get your learner's permit, and the first time you get behind the wheel of a car or a wheel of anything, you're overcorrecting, you're zigzagging, it, it looks like a snake path. My dad took the old farm truck, set us out in a 40-acre field with no big stumps and nothing to hit and said, have at it, boys. Put it in first gear and don't take it out of first gear. But you just go drive. And we wandered all over that place. We drove the old tractor. You know, it's only going five miles an hour, but we learned how to steer. Well, if you'd have put me behind one of, you know, a Sprint Cup car, put me out on Talladega's track like they're going to run 200 miles an hour today and said, here, I know you've never driven a car, but go have fun with this. I'd have probably stomped on the gas and gone 30 feet and hit a wall and been done. Well, we, we need, as we get better, our, our mistakes become and our corrections become less and less and less. They're narrower. We never get past the place where we make mistakes. We never get past the place or get to the place where we don't need Jesus. That's why 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I don't care how mature you are, you still have the tendency to go to failure. You still have the tendency to be selfish and not want to be giving. You still have the tendency to look and say, I want it my way. Well, why do you want it your way? Because I think my way is the best. But if my way is not your way and it's your way to, and it's yours to do, then I just need to say, hey, if that's how God's told you to do, go with it. Bless it. Bless you. And I'll help you if I can. I need to quit trying to force my opinion on other people, spiritually or naturally. But I am doing something. I'm using the Word and the gifts of God. And then the final stage, what, what Paul said there in, in, um, when we were back in, in Ephesians 4, we grow up and, and become a, a teleos. That's a, a perfected man. That's when you say in several places in Paul's writing, he talks about... Uh, coming into perfection. In fact, go back to Colossians, and I want to tag one verse here. In Colossians chapter 3, let's look at verse, start with verse 12. Colossians 3, 4, or 3, 12, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. That's the, the, the background of this next verse. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. That word could be, could be translated the bond of a fully mature adult. And the biggest trait that that fully mature uh, adult has is that they have bridled their tongue that we talked about in James. They have allowed God to rule in their life to where God can keep their tongue under control. Now that when you first start trying to do that, the very first uh, uh, experience that you will have in bridling your tongue, there's a lot of silence in your life. <laughs> you just learn, I want to say that, but I can't. And you just shut up. But then you will grow to a point where you, hopefully, where we grow to is we grow to the point where we have that thought that I want to say this evil thing. I want to, instead of bless, I want to curse. 
But then I know the word well enough that when those situations come, suddenly a verse comes up. And I start blessing those that despitefully use me. I start blessing those. I return blessing for cursing. It's not that I don't want to curse, but that voice becomes quieter and quieter and stronger and stronger becomes the word that I'm going to bless those that curse me. I'm going to pray for those that despitefully use me. Is it easy? Not even a little bit. But there is a result, and I'll close with this. Go to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, verse, well, there's only three verses. But this is God's viewpoint. This is God, where God wants us to get to. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, if you watch this political process where our country's going through, there's, there's very little unity. But this is not directed at the, the population of any country. Because notice what it says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren. He's talking about the body of Christ. Now I realize this was written to the Jews, but he's talking to us. He's saying our job as brethren is to dwell together in unity. Once again, this is the word one. Unified, one body, one thought, one goal. One spirit, one Lord, one action. Preach the gospel. Paul said to Timothy, preach the gospel. Be instant, in season and out of season. What's that mean? That means preach it when it's hard and preach it when it's easy. Preach it when it's convenient. Preach it when people are going to rail against you for preaching it. It's the only job we have. Preach the gospel. Verse 2. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. This is the picture of when, you know, we, we, we think that the way we anoint in our church is the way that they used to anoint with oil. We put a little oil on our finger and make the sign of the cross on your forehead. When they anointed Aaron to be high priest, they took a flask of oil, they uncorked it, and they poured and it went on his head and it run, ran down through his hair and it dripped into his beard and it got in his garments. And there was enough of it that it ran all the way down to the tip of his robes. When we dwell in unity, then the oil that gets poured out on our high priest, who is Jesus, runs down through the body. And that oil is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not just his presence. But it's His presence manifested. I pray constantly that God's presence will be manifested in our church and in our church services. But the only reason that we need to be have God manifest in our services is so that we can learn what that's like, so we can expect God to manifest Himself in our daily lives. I will tell you, the best sermon I think I've ever preached was in, in, when we lived in, the, in southern Indiana, there were occasions when Gina and I and the kids would be out and the kids would have questions and they were, it was when they were approaching their teenage years or were in their teenage years. And I felt God anoint me to answer their question. And we'd start having a discussion. We'd pull up in our carport and nobody moved. And it wasn't that I was wise because, believe me, I, I, I didn't have a lot to offer my kids. Not in that, in that respect. But I would say things to them, and, and I had teenagers say to me from the back seat, that really helps. When you can talk to a teenage child of your own and have them say, that really helped me, that's God. But I knew it was God because I felt the anointing. I felt the same anointing that I feel when I get behind this pulpit to preach. I felt that same anointing start to drop on me, and I just went with it and just said whatever God had me to say to my kids. And I learned that when the anointing started to lift, it's time to shut up. And so I'd quit. And my kids today will tell you some of those conversations changed their lives. I knew that anointing because I had found that anointing in a church service, and when it happened in real life, I knew what it was. That's why we need to feel that anointing and experience that anointing here 
so we can transfer it to everyday events. Amen? And then verse 3, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The, the, the Hermon, the dew of Hermon is a mount. It's a mountain with three peaks, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that dew would come down, the, the, the air would rush down off of the mount, or, or not the air, but the water that, that fed the Jordan River went into the Sea of Galilee and eventually went into the Dead Sea, because the Dead Sea has no outlet, came from Mount Hermon. Remember, God said, I will make rivers in the desert. We need to learn, we need to walk in unity so that we can know and experience the anointing of God so that we can have that river of living water that Jesus talked about flowing out of our bellies to supply the needs of people that we walk with every day in life. You don't have answers for the people you work with, but God does. And it doesn't require a 50-minute or an hour sermon. You don't have to stand them a CD and say, hey, this will really help you. Go listen to it. Most of them are going to pitch it right in the trash. But when they bring up a situation and you can give them a 30-second piece of advice that's anointed with the Holy Spirit's power, if it helps them, they will come back for more. And it gives you an opportunity to say, look, I know you think that I came up with that, but I was as surprised as you were when those words came out of my mouth. That was Jesus. And He is willing to give you the same Spirit that's in me. You can have that. And it plants a seed to them to think, maybe this Jesus thing is real. Who would have thunk it? Maybe they're just not crazy Christians. Maybe there's something to this life. If they see it demonstrated in you as a fully mature Christian, but if what they see is one day you're cussing the boss and the next day you're saying, oh, you know, this is my, this, we need to just work hard. They're going to say, he's no different than I am. That Christian thing, that's just something he does on Sunday. That's just, that's just a weekend uh, activity. It doesn't really affect their lives. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's also a danger that we get over and they think that we're so holier than thou, but they don't want anything to do with us because we make them feel guilty all the time. Jesus occasionally had that, that impact on people, but generally it was the people that needed him the most. They wanted him because he had answers to their problems. And he was approachable. It wasn't, he, he really only had that effect with the people that were very religious because he broke their rules. We need to be approachable and, and, and have the anointing of God so that people can look at us and say, I think they may have an answer. We've seen it, and I'm sure some of you have seen it, with our relatives. Everybody knows we're the crazy charismatics. We're the crazy Pentecostals. We're the people who, it's just, man, they're just, they're over, you know, they're Bible thumpers. They're over the, over the top with this stuff. And I'm sure there are times when they have a laugh and they make fun of us. But I guarantee you when one of their kids is sick, when one of their spouses is sick, when events come and they don't have an answer, our phone rings. Would you please pray? Yes, I will. What do I need to pray about? They know it's real to us. And my, my prayer is, and sometimes family's difficult to deal with. You know, I love my brother. My brother wouldn't agree with me if, if, if it cost him his life. Because he's not going to admit that I know something he doesn't. I am the worst person to preach to my brother. So I don't. I never preach to my brother. It's just going to push him farther away. But I will preach to someone else's brother and believe for God to use someone else to preach to my brother. As long as I'm doing my part, I can put a demand on God to, to reach him through another channel. But I do want him to see that it is, it's real to me. It's real to me and it's consistent to me. I still screw up. You don't believe me? Ask my wife, ask my kids. They see it all the time. I'm not perfect, 
but I'm stretching myself to walk in that anointing every day. Every day. Now, it's hard. I'm not going to tell you it's not. There are times when you're going to get weary with it, and you're just going to, I, I want to quit. Well, that's when it takes faith. That's when you say, no, I can't. I'm going to stick this out. Because there are people that are going to go to hell if I don't. When you see it from that perspective, changes how you approach life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.